2: So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. and a contributor to this podcast i know you're gonna create a um, man I'm, i just i feel like you're gonna create a lot of dialogue that's gonna uh, shed light on addiction love addiction sex addiction all of that so thank you for um jumping back on the 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 uh, what i call it john kim's fuck truck <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it was the it was the, the email you sent to all of us the i, I i'm about it I, I love that use that use that more often
2: Hey, um, before we get into um, addiction, and by the way, man, you know what I love about you is there's a lot of coaches out there, a lot of therapists, a lot of people who – I call them copy and paste coaches. Um, You know, They kind of take what is trending or they've learned some stuff in in school and all that. But, man, I feel like you've really – your life is your education, so I feel like you've lived it, um, and you're still living it, so – uh, when I say that you speak the language, I, I, I say that because, um, you're practicing in life. It's not just like you're reading books, taking information and regurgitating. I feel like you pull from, um, your own life and you have been for, for so long. So, um, yeah, there's, there's so much uh, truth there.
1: I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate it. One, uh, I always repeat the phrase that you coined for me years ago that, you know, uh, Uh, that I speak the language. And I mean, I mean, you're right. I've got to, we all have to walk our talk, therapists, coaches, uh, mentors, counselors, whatever. I mean, if you don't, it's, it's just, it's kind of inauthentic or it's like, where are you pulling that energy from if you're not doing what you would advise people to do now that said, people are human. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you gotta be perfect, but um, it is uh, it's a blessing. You you know, when I'm at my most, uh, uh, when I'm at my most, what do you call it? Sublime, which is a word mm-hmm. I seldom use. Right. That's one of those high saluting words. Uh, although, you know, I like my
2: big vocabulary, but also, also a song from the 90s. That's right. <laughs> yeah, or band, yeah. a band or a song. Yeah.
1: Band. That was, right. that was, that was your arena, man. That was, that was all that Cali stuff. It was amazing. Our arena. but um. I, yeah, I, I mean, recovery changed my life from sex and love addiction. And I know we'll get into it and I have to live that. I have to live that or I'll destroy myself and I'll destroy the yeah. relationships around me. Yeah. And um, and then as a, as a bonus, I'm even not more rigid on myself, but I really keep myself in check with my sponsor and my sponsees and my therapist and then my clients. And one of the things working with like the Tat Lab, your Tat Lab and how we did that, yeah. Two plus years during, uh, uh, you know, had that cohort during the pandemic was, um you know, I got a lot of feedback about like, holy shit, dude, you just told us X, Y and Z like that happened to you like you're being like honest. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I, what else am I going to do? I got to tell you guys how I did it. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be pretty for you, too. You just got to keep at it
2: hey vanessa said the other day uh, when i pitched her hey i said i'm gonna um do single on 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 purpose a podcast instead of just me i'm gonna bring on a team we're gonna rotate i got all excited i was pitching her this thing she's like oh you're just you're just turning the tat live into a podcast i was like no (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) Fuck, fuck you what are you talking about that was beautiful that has uh uh ended like um like summer camp and now i'm I'm doing something new. She's like, oh, it yeah. just sounds like tel- Lab, the podcast. Anyway. Um- <laughs> but that's not a bad thing.
1: I mean I, I mean, I get it. It's kind
2: of like productive,
1: but it's also not a bad thing. It was a wonderful community. And I don't yeah. know how much you've talked about, I presume a bit, but man, it was a great opportunity. And it really, you know, what an unprecedented time, man. What a historical period yeah. we yeah. have now experienced as adults or whatever age you were and where we really all had to pivot toward each other, which is what I wish we would do anyway more often. And I'm sure you do as a therapist, you know, concerned about people's well-being, their emotional, spiritual, and physical health. Um, You know, it's very American to just do the individualistic buck up bootstrap bullshit. Mm -hmm. And instead Mm -hmm. we're like, holy shit, this is tough and bizarre. Let's all hang out and and offload and hear each other's stories. Like we say in 12-step experience, strength, and hope. And it was a beautiful experience, man. I'm really grateful that uh, you opened that door, and I'm grateful for everybody who walked through it.
2: Yeah, and just a footnote, if you're listening and you don't know what the hell we're talking about, um, during the pandemic, <laughs> I uh, said, "Let's we're all stuck at home. Let's um, use Zoom as a therapeutic tool. Let's connect people. And I reached out to uh, Sean and, and a few other people, and we started running Zoom groups. And uh, we helped uh, thousands in, in, in two years and then recently just kind of closed it. It felt right and it was never meant to be something um and i learned this because i tried because i tried to scale it we created an app and i realized you know what everything doesn't have to be scaled and that was uh it was like a magical summer um we went deep with a lot of people and uh yeah it was uh it, it was it was magical and so that's what the tat lab was and now that that uh, has expired i have more time for um, more projects, and this being one of them, single on purpose to podcast. So, Sean, before we get into addiction, I want to do something. Um, I want to g- go into my little time machine. All right, this is for me, not for the audience. But uh, 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 we're we're gonna do stuff for the audience in a bit. 2001, or maybe even like 2000. Uh, it was, in my opinion, the uh, pe- the peak of hip hop. Um before you and I were married, we were dating, we had girlfriends. This is before uh so you we were
1: dating each other, which would have been <laughs> fine. Which would have been fine. You're a very handsome dude.
2: The Hollywood canteen, uh spoken word, screenwriting. I think you were reading at some really big agencies and this is before the children. So this is before insomnia and stress and I think even before your um addiction, I'm not sure, but um what were because when i think back when i think back about those times there're a lot of happy moments man and what what were um what was the good of those times when you look back
1: the good of those times and i'm sorry if you can hear some some background noise I, that's okay we'll uh, be over in a second yeah no worries but, uh, the good of those times you know it's really interesting you, you you talk about right around the millennium uh so you knew uh, my little cadre of friends we also had Hollywood <laughs> friends we had friend friends and I think I really relied on um, the comfort of friends, the comfort of your club, the yeah. canteen, yeah. Um, the, the um, ability to, you know, lose myself uh, um, in the presence of others for a little bit. But not, you know, it would, it would only be later that I find out that was in a real escapist way. And and the reason why I say that is because I was in the addiction even during those years, dude. I've been an addict since I was exposed at nine to hardcore pornography, which is why when people and I, and I start to argue, I don't tend to argue. I just kind of sit back and let them opine. But when people start to argue about the DSM five or whatever, who says what about what's an addiction or not? I don't even really jump into that. I don't care. I just know that my personal experience and the experience of Oh man, thousands of people now that I've met at retreats, conventions, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, weekend getaways, you know, whatever it is, conferences or Zooms like we did with Tat Lab. I know that there are millions, I mean, probably statistically, who simply cannot stop, who are powerless mm-hmm. uh, over an addiction around sex, whether and whatever it is, whether it's porn, whether it's prostitution, whether it's multiple partners and you're unsafe, like wh- however it comes
2: um whether Wait, it's love so, addiction, it's more so that time was it um, um um was it a giant trigger for you then at that time uh because we we um we just kind of met we we were uh friendly, we had started you know hanging out together, coffee shops writing screenplays, and all that um right. but if you were also struggling with addiction, I can imagine when you were at the canteen, I mean there was nothing but beautiful people, and you know it was there was a lot of fantasy in that.
1: There's a lot of fantasy in that. And, you know, believe it or not, there are people who specifically ID as fantasy addicts in this larger umbrella of sex and love addiction. Mm. Um, and, you know, and then the codependents are in there somewhere as well. Yeah. But it wasn't always triggering John to be around beautiful people. I don't need to tell you. You're still out there, even if you're in the burbs now with with your family and everything. I mean, there's beautiful people everywhere out
2: there. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. There's beautiful but... people
1: everywhere, period. But, I mean, yeah. Jesus, especially L.A. And so... No, it was not a non-stop trigger. And and also, the addiction sometimes goes quiet. It mm-hmm. could be quiet for months. It could be mm-hmm. quiet for a year where you're just like, oh. But you eventually, I rather, eventually hit bottom. People eventually hit a bottom. And that's a crucial pivot, right? It's like, keep banging my head against the wall, right? The definition of insanity, the meme we've all seen and expecting different results. Right. Or fuck i need to do something about this and i and it you're right it was pre-kids it was during our screenwriting heyday meeting yeah. at the club meeting at the cafes and basically what it was most often like was me sitting there talking with you writing interacting with people as affable as i am now and mm-hmm. you know not to blow myself up but i mean I'm, I'm i'm pretty good in a social setting yeah and and yet at that time so much drama so much stress so much shame behind my mm. eyes just right, mm. just right behind what you could see right me just just wrestling this gorilla dude this monkey
2: yeah so i didn't um i didn't know that about you and so what i experienced was you know the light charismatic fun screenwriter um our banter um hanging out you know i know you all i also know that uh, you love music and hip-hop and all of that Um and we had a friend in common so it was um um I mean there were some dark times there for me as well but it was very uh felt it felt kind of magical <laughs> you know Yeah and it you know, only absolutely. lasted about a year or two <laughs> Well I mean you
1: know maybe we maybe it was a, an early peak but um I'll tell you what man there's a there's a it, a lot of the shit that I say especially that comes from 12 step or from my therapist who also comes my former therapist who also comes from 12 step a lot of things I say are like cliche but one of them is um But it's true. It's cliche because it's true. One of them is my best day in active addiction can't compare to even like one of my worst days in active recovery. So because, mm. because even if you're having a great fucking time, you're at the club, it's that spoken word session, like we had a couple of those they were amazing, right? People mm-hmm. came out for those too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, uh, uh, your people would make me the muddled, uh, not the Moscow mule, but the mojitos, <laughs> right? And <with> the <laughs> real right. mint, the fresh mint, yeah. it was yeah, wonderful, yeah. right? My people yeah. were there, your people. And, yeah. and we invited a bunch of people. But always there's the tension below the surface yeah always there's that you got to go home and be by yourself eventually True. you gotta eventually sit with the results right the 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 the, the, the wake of your actions and that's the unmanageability because at the same time you're talking about within a year or two dude i would lose jobs as a yeah.
2: result yeah.
1: of my acting out uh because i was because i pivoted for a minute to like storyboarding i was trying to like cast a wide net right i just needed to work however i could right and it became less and less manageable i couldn't act out and for me at the time it was mainly pornography i could not stop acting out i literally would almost get catch get get caught by people coming by my apartment or visiting or knocking on the door i don't know Mm -hmm. i i I have no shame in saying this man this is the stories that i share so that people can relate you know or, or get yeah. help if they're like oh fuck i don't want to be there it's like there before the grace of god go i right dude i literally was like pulling up my pants sometimes like trying to answer my door click yeah. the computer off you know straighten things right, out right, but right. You know, sweating cold fearful it's terrible
2: it's terrible i mean it, it's the same as someone knocking on the door and you're putting your needle away or you're untying right. the, you know around right. your arm um so right. make you see, sure the blood is like right, clean up the blood right. it's all the same and so you know it's not about the behavior it's about um I mean, it's not about the thing you're addicted to; it's about the the behavior, right? And so, uh, you said nine years old, you were exposed exposed to uh, um, pornography, and I was, you know, I was a little bit older, but I was also young. And um, I mean, we're talking like '80s, where you had to know someone to get some material. It's not the internet, right? And so, um, and then ha- having that uh, image in the in your back pocket until it was like disintegrated, <laughs> right? But right, right. Um, yeah, dude, I my parents are always working, so. I was exposed to, uh, you know, the Playboy Channel uh, on TV, and you know, um, uh, pornography and uh, 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 magazines and all that kind of stuff. And so, right. for you, how did that impact you? So, as you grew up, as um, wh- when did you? Because at that age, you don't know what addiction is. You're just you're just right. you know exploring, and and this feels good, and it's shooting chemicals in your brain, and you're curious. Right. But at, at what point? Uh, talk us through the evolution from that nine-year-old Sean to how it actually became a problem you realize oh shit this is this isn't you know this is I gotta do something yeah
1: yeah yeah there are pretty clear markers um and I, I won't go exactly chronologically just so I can make my points a little more succinctly but um there's something that I share with clients which is this terror that I have every now and then it hits me and um I call it the, uh, the the Plato's Cave, because there's it was that's what the what I like in the addiction to, and because Plato's Cave was this this literary or this philosophical image where people are in a cave but they got blinders on. Yeah. There's yeah. a fire in the middle of the cave and they're looking mm-hmm. at the wall and all they can see are smoke and shadows and they think that's life, and it's not until the blinders are taken off, someone mm-hmm. unshackles them and frees them and they walk. Not only do they realize, oh fuck, I'm in a cave. And all those images were just images, just shadow and not reality. But then they walk out of the cave and they're like, there's a whole fucking world out here.
2: Right, so right.
1: that's what being in the thick of the addiction is where where people aren't yet even at the point where they even acknowledge, right? Because in 12 Step, they talk about acceptance. You hit bottom and you're like, you have that God moment. You have that. And again, when I say God, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing the, the Christian, mm-hmm. no religion or anything. I'm just saying right, whatever right. the spiritual thing is you hit that and then you, you, you realize you have to course correct, but they, 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 they hit that moment and then, um, decide which way to go. But that realization is profound yeah. and you're like, oh my God, I've been in that this whole time. So that's what really scares me about the years between say nine and I'd say around 20. How old were we in like, in like 2000, John, like 27, 28.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right? 20s, yeah. like the 20s.
1: Yeah. So I have an anniversary now, and it's in November. So if I hit mid-November in about a month and a half, that'll be 14 years sober, 14 years wow. abstinent from, like, all the things that I threw into what's called a, an inner circle. Like, and there's, there's an outer, there's a middle, there's an inner, and that's just a mid, one of many constructions you can use. Because we're talking behavioral addiction, right? So right. it's not as simple, it, not that alcoholism or any other drug recovery or substance abuse isn't simple, but it's not like, don't pick up the needle, don't have alcohol in your house, don't go to a bar, right? It's it's all in us, which is yeah. why it's sex and love addiction are more likened to like an eating disorder. You know, mm-hmm. like overeaters, uh, some of us sex addicts really relate to because you have to eat, you right. have to have sustenance, you yeah. have to have water. Same thing here because we're not talking explicitly just sex, we're talking intimacy. You have to have intimacy, you have to be with someone, body, mind, spirit, like you always say, Mm-hmm. And, and so how do you do that, but not do it to the point of self-destruction? So there was a, so I, I when I finally got sober, I was married, still got divorced, but we have a great divorce mm-hmm. and um, stayed sober till, like I said, about 14 years. But right around when I knew you, a couple years after the time period you're talking about, that's sort of a, the halcyon days of yeah. like the club and everything yeah. right around 0102. And it's a, uh, get this, it's a little, it's a kind of a cosmic joke. It's Cinco de Mayo, which everyone's always out, right? Being jackasses mm-hmm. on Cinco de Mayo, right? Mm-hmm. Putting on their fake sombreros and just drinking themselves like crazy with margaritas. Every Cinco de Mayo, John, I go and I either meditate somewhere or I mm-hmm. take the day for myself. Or if I am with family, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty
2: inward. calm.
1: Not, yeah. Not, yeah, inward. Not negative, but just right. self-reflective. Sure. And that's because it was when I was in the marina, Marina del Rey. And you and I would see each other here and there after that. In fact, we would have the one New Year's together with you and your then wife and me and my mm-hmm. then girlfriend and wife. Yep. Um, so right around then, I was just sitting in my room. I didn't want to go out and join the party with uh, my homies, Damon, and everybody, everyone mm-hmm. smoking, drinking. I have no problem with that. I'm not like some prude. I'm saying I sat in my room and I just wanted to write like we did. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is terrible. I don't want to write. I just want to keep masturbating. Something's so that was the,
2: the awareness.
1: It didn't, yeah. it didn't get me sober, dude. It would be almost another decade before I get sober. It'd be – well, it'd be about six, seven more years. But it was the first time that I went, this is not right. Like I right. can't stop some of the shit that I do.
2: Wait, was uh, was porn and masturbation – did you gravitate toward that more than the actual sex? Meaning- yes,
1: for sure, 100%. As a matter of fact, there's a little bit – Again, so much of the... I feel like sometimes it's pretty esoteric, like I'm trying to be like this secret club, but it's not. It's just that I think it's very misunderstood. Right. right? No, it is. Well, because no one talks about it. Right, because no one talks about it. Exactly. We we still have that weird puritanical bullshit, like, oh, no one has sex. Babies just come out of nowhere. It's like, what the fuck? So, (laughs) it it was mainly porn, and um, it was mainly porn. I don't know what else to say besides that. Movies, whatever, you know, and then, you know, once it went from magazines to internet oh my god dude yeah, like like going from cocaine to crack dude. <laughs>
2: yeah of course for I real mean, and like, then I also uh, li- it's unlimited i mean it's like yeah you're right i mean once uh, once it once it came into your phone it's now in your house and i mean that you know <laughs> so like the kids these days i don't know what's going to happen to them because like at least for us growing up in the 80s it was hard to get but now holy shit on your phone with two clicks you could have anything unlimited anything it's just like yeah you're right it's like going from you know m to crack
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy man so i i do i have a lot of concern for the kids coming up uh i know from some of the 20 something some of the now they're in their 30s but back then they were like millennials they were talking to me and they were like dude i can't like i can't get it up because i keep clicking around i'm like you, yeah. you are saying out loud exactly the one-to-one now if you want to do something about that i'm here for you but if, if not, like, that's not going to change unless you change it, right, unless you work on it. So you're absolutely right. I mean, and they were, they were just divulging without even, like, I wasn't, like, out there, like, I'm a coach and whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I was just having conversations with people I worked with or were acquaintances or whatever, and they would just divulge this stuff. So, yeah, dude, it was, it was mainly the porn. And here's an interesting thing. This is the esoteric stuff I was going to talk about. There are people who identify as sexual anorexic. And mm. and, you, and also, you can be both. So it's kind of like just being on the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's not about quantity. It's about intimacy and right. quality. Right. So, which is also why when people think I – if I – I don't think I come off judgmental <laughs> very often. But if people think I'm making a judgment about something, I'll say right now on the record on your show, like I don't have – we can debate about porn. We can debate about the culture of it. You can talk about gender mm-hmm. issues and stereotypes. And is it, are there, is it healthy imagery for of women and men or whomever is on the screen, men and men, women, it doesn't matter who, but is that healthy? Is that real? We kind of all agree, no, it's fantasy. That's what it's right. for. Right. And also, I don't know about you, but even in our day when it was that early internet stuff, it was getting kind of violent. I'm not going to lie. Sure. It was getting kind of like, like you know, it's it getting a little ugly sometimes, and yeah. you'd be like, "Whoa, yeah, uh, you know," or or you wouldn't go well. You'd be like, "Oh, I gotta grab it. I gotta get more and more and more." Which is why they say addiction's progressive, right? Recovery's progressive, but addiction is also progressive. You go well, harder,
2: it, yeah. It um, it takes more. It takes more for for you to um, get the high and, and get the yeah. Hit, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, my point about all that is, I would, I wasn't dating
1: much when we were in those days you were talking about. I was. Stuck with the porn. And if I wasn't, if I somehow got away from that that vice grip, um, I, I was, like, asexual. I was just – and that's no disrespect to people who are actually culturally or psychologically asexual. I'm saying that
2: – Oh, you're uh, one extreme could, or the other.
1: Yeah, I couldn't – I was. I had so much shame. Like I was telling you how I was right behind my eyes, right under yeah. the surface. I couldn't talk to girls. I couldn't yeah. go out and, like, hey, you should be with me. It's like I, was, right. I felt like a piece of shit. Mm. So, yeah, so it was one extreme or the other, man. It was terrible. And that's when I said, like, single uh, de Mayo, 2001 or two. Um, I think it was 2001. Uh, I just was sitting in my room going, S- I need to do something. Yeah. I just had no fucking idea what.
2: So, is that when you um, found 12 Step, or did it take a lot more of those moments for you to then hit your quote unquote rock bottom?
1: It took more of those moments. It took getting into what was a pretty freaking amazing relationship, yeah. having kids, moving out here to New Mexico. And, you know, they call it a geographic. Addicts call it like, oh, I'll just move. You know, mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just go to another state, get another job in another place. It's like, yeah, but you're still you.
2: Right, so you right.
1: just took the addiction with you. It's called a geographic. Yeah. It's like, no matter where you go, there you are. Yeah, yeah. So, we moved out here, and that's those were like maybe the three to five years where you and I didn't talk much because I yeah. had moved. And, you know, you were just becoming, I think, a therapist and really starting to build up. And um, I got a therapist in L.A., but I couldn't get sober with her. She was amazing. It was no fault of her own. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready till I was ready, right? And then I, I, I started to mess around with jobs out here and, lo- mm-hmm. and almost lose job opportunities out here. And then my marriage imploded, and I was like, "Okay, okay." Uh,
2: I, I why why did I, your marriage did, why did your marriage implode? Was it because uh, the lack of intimacy? Was it because she didn't approve of you uh, watching porn? Were you distant, or I guess all the above, right?
1: All the above, all the above. Yeah. I mean, uh, to my I won't name her, I, uh, name her here, but to my exes, you know, um, uh, you know, to give her some credit, she even at one point was like, "Maybe we integrated." Maybe we use the porn, whatever. And, and it's like, you know, it, that's what, what it, 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 it's secretive. It's isolating. It's my secret. It's like uh, Lord of the Rings, my precious, right? I don't want to share that with anybody. That's oh. like my little drug. That's like, that's so like my little tried, stash.
2: You tried that and it didn't work for you. Did not work. And yeah. so, wh-
1: you know, it's not just that you're doing the acting out. It's not just that you're shutting down from your partner, um, you know, and all these other manifestations at work or whatever. When we say, when I say, and when others in, in, the, in the Fellowship of Recovery folks say, um, it, 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 it doesn't just affect your sex life. It affects everything. So I was more yeah. rageful. I think I've shared with you before that I had rage issues. I was, I, now I was endangering, like, ooh, do am I going to be a bad dad? Like, what the hell? Because I had two little ones. Right. So thankfully, I hit that bottom. I actually called that same therapist I just mentioned back in L.A. and was like, Karen, I don't know what to do. I can't stop acting out. I can't stop I probably didn't say acting out. I probably just said, I can't stop watching porn. I'm destroying my marriage. My my wife is like, you know, wants to kick me out, and rightfully so. And I'm raceful. Everything's falling apart. And she, and dude, I'll never forget this, and I share this every anniversary I have. Uh she said, Sean, listen to someone who knows better than you. Mm. She's and she said, and then she like, get into twelve step, get a therapist immediately stop acting out, go do that now. But, but that first part that, that, that early, but you're right. Cause it's, there's so much ego and shame and you're just in your own way. Right. And she said, I know you're calling me. So heed my words, listen to someone who knows better and go do it. Dude, I did it immediately. Finally, yeah. I was ready to hear the message. I had a therapist and I went to my first 12 step within a day of that phone call.
2: And that changed everything. So for fourteen years you haven't looked at any porn? Since so you've been sober? now. That's amazing. That,
1: yeah. I mean, have I seen things that I should probably stay away from? Like, you know, it's like the movie or there's that like right, like I have to choose yeah, what movie I want to watch,
2: what this That's just living right? in our world, man. Like you you can't you can't right. choose choose what billboard, you know, is on the bus or right. like, you know. No, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And especially online, dude, I will tell you. I it's it, the 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 funny the thing that I laugh like it's great if you can be bemused about these things right as opposed to like oh god damn it and shit on yourself all over again the self compassion is critical and yeah. John honestly in, in almost fourteen years I probably have only hit that hardcore self compassion where I just I don't even go Ugh! at first I just go nah man it's cool it's mm-hmm. you know what this is right probably the last three years probably since right before pandemic or right in there where right? I just got to just a different level of dude like there's no need to beat yourself up. You, you spent from what do we say yeah. nine to 28. You spent no, not a, not 28, 34, 35 or something, right? So, you spent 24, 25 years
2: in it, tunnel. Yeah, it's
1: still going to be pieces, remnants. And sure. also, it's hard when you're just I could look you up, John, and then the ads on the side of the you know screen will give me something because I clicked on something else the other day, yeah, or like of this course. website, or that website. Yeah. So, that's. What I'm talking about being bemused. I laugh when I'm just like, "Oh my god, I'm getting triggered from some like ads on the side. This is ridiculous." Yeah, and yeah. I will say too, again, uh, for fear of sounding like a poodle, whatever. And I tell this to a lot of my sponsees, I'm like, "Dude, also, if it's a man, and say it's a heterosexual man, just for sake of mm-hmm. the the example, uh, uh, and and I don't, and I counsel anybody. I don't give a shit who you want to be with or how you identify. Right. Uh, to make that clear. But uh, I I sometimes remind some of the newbies. I'm like, dude, you know what? Yeah, you're an addict, and you got to work hard on this. You got to live this, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you're a man who has eyes, and the eyes are attached to your brain, and the brain is the brain stem and the nervous system, and all that's attached to your dick. So you're going to see things, and you're going to feel <laughs> right. things, and you know neurons are going to fire off, and you can't beat the fuck out of yourself every single time that happens. It just yeah, it just be miserable, right? And so I tell myself the same thing. So no, I haven't looked
2: at hardcore pornography in 14 years. Wow, that is uh that's that's especially in the world that we live in, man. That's uh what what how much discipline it takes. Um but I, I guess you know what <laughs> when you turn it into a lifestyle, it gets easier, of course. I remember um in my 20s um when I was uh e- uh looking at porn a lot more. Um I I remember where because I have the addictive gene. My dad's an alcoholic, my mom's dad is an alcoholic. Um same uh, I remember you would lose track of time and this is this yep. is actually what scared me was um getting into the tunnel uh there's dopamine firing in your brain and and you know you're you're clicking or downloading or whatever or watching a movie and you, there's like this numbness that happens and i think people who aren't uh or or you know can't relate to addiction they, they don't know what i'm talking about but um there's like this numbness that happens this ringing and Suddenly four or five, six hours has gone by, and this, and this is when you realize how powerful this can be, and, and, and this could be anything. It, it could be heroin. It could be porn. It, whatever you're addic- it could be gambling. You could sit at the gambling table, and you know, a week could go by, and you could have not slept if you're you know, a, a gambling addict, and so addiction in general, it, it throws you into this very slippery well. Uh, you could escape. You don't have to think of anything. There's, of course, um, you know, the feel goods and, 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 and uh, dopamine and chem- chemistry happening in your brain, and you basically check out of the world. You check out of life, yeah. and you lose track of time, and I think that is why it's not sustainable. That's just a state, and on top of that. If you have issues with, you know, anger, rage or anything like that, you could also be very destructive to uh, friendships, relationships, obviously people you love, you know, yeah. children and all that. So, yeah, man, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: So how, wild, did you, how did you start climbing out? 12 um, step work for you, right? Yeah, it was a combination of 12
1: step and talk therapy. Mm-hmm. And my guy, my therapist out here in New Mexico um, was a recovering addict himself. And, um, and then just happened to have a lot of us sex addicts as well as other addicts on his roster. He just, cause he just knew the addiction language. Like you say, speak the language like that. I learned the language from him. Yeah. So, um, uh, he just was really good, man. And you know what? You would have appreciated him. He's, he's not dead. He just, he's just retired now, but we would have like Goodwill Hunting moments, man. When I go in there, I call them pushback sessions. You know, like like yeah, you know, yeah. Matt Damon and Robin Williams, like face <laughs> right, to face, right, right. right? Remember when Matt like disses the painting and he puts yep, him up against the wall? Yep. Now he never put me up against the wall, but we got face to face a couple times because I was like, "This is bullshit! I'm getting the fuck out of this session." He's like, "Sit the fuck
2: down." <laughs> right? Because wow. I was just
1: still so full of like rage and yeah. you know feeling defensive, feeling I was being told that you know. I'm an asshole. I'm in the wrong and whatever. And and really what he was doing the whole time was like, I'm not telling you you're bad or you're I'm telling you the things you've done have had bad consequences. The things you've done are unhealthy. And I always emphasize that now with my own clients. Right. And it's not, it's not, not taking responsibility. You have to take responsibility as part of this process, but it's also stopping the thinking around the shame spiraling. Right. And you just go down and down and down. Oh, I'm such a big shit. I can't do that. Nah, 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 nah. And that's why people keep using, that's why it's so hard to get off the treadmill. So like you were saying, like the thing that just happened was, um, I just had that moment of clarity. That's what I was thinking of earlier when I said God shot or whatever, it's moment of clarity when that one therapist told me mm-hmm. and the next day I was like, yeah, I can't do anything. I keep doing the same shit. It just plenty of people told me before that it just finally took when I was ready to hear it.
2: Let me ask you this: um, Love addiction. Uh, a lot of people are confused by it. Like, how can you be addicted to love? That doesn't make sense. Um, tell us what you know about love addiction, because when I um, when I was on, uh, in training to become a therapist, I went to all the the meetings. Meaning, um, you know, Al-Anon, uh, you know, SAA, uh, and, I, and I remember um, in in the sex addiction meetings, uh, it's mostly men, like ninety percent, um, and then in Al-Anon, it's mostly women and mm-hmm. i remember uh you know love addiction and and uh uh people being confused that love can be a, an addiction so right right how is so that best, tell me.
1: it is tricky don't get me wrong it's hard to um, articulate and it's easier actually if i'm with a client who once we start talking and sharing they start to realize they're like mm-hmm. oh this isn't about the the fucking part this isn't about getting that guy, getting that girl, getting that person uh, in my bed. This is about the fantasy and the lead up to it and how much of my life I'm willing to sacrifice and not tend to for this other person in a romantic way or in the hopes of having a romantic relationship. And that's why some people even identify as fantasy addicts because they don't even get into the relationship part, right? It's it's wild.
2: It's almost like it should be called... um... Fan, love fantasy addiction it, because what makes it confusing is people say love addiction but we're talking about um like you said it sometimes it doesn't even get intimate it's about uh or or it doesn't get um in, intimate in a healthy way it's the fantasy of it it's the yeah. you know the chase and all that that people could become addicted to and that's love addiction
1: right right and i mean and that can be sex and love. there are a lot of people who just want the chase and then mm-hmm. as soon as something happens of course they can't actually bond Right, because they're addicts, they can't actually have the intimacy once it's availed. So they're like, "Oh fuck it," and then they just repeat it over and over and over again. In in sex, in S L A A, sex and love addicts anonymous, right. they identify the, uh, the the object of our affection as a qualifier, and it's a little tricky word, but they're comfortable using it, and I, I'm I'm not too bad with using it either. That's like the person who qualifies in quotes me as being the love addict. They are mm-hmm. the person I have objectifying. I have unrealistic expectations about. I'm really not probably approaching them to just ask them on a date, build a relationship, see if they want to build a bond, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just in the back like voyeur, but like touching base every now and then or driving by the house or obsessing constantly. If they're a coworker, right? Always hanging on the peripherals, but not fully engaging, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's also people who are engaging and are in the relationships, but again, they've lost themselves. You know, your uh, your lady is, you know, Vanessa is this like codependent master, Right. And it's wow. so wild because i i know that there's um codependence anonymous there's a uh yeah. i think it's C C D C A A C O codependency I a i can't remember what the acronym is but yeah. um what the easy the shortcut that i use when it's getting a little fuzzy when i'm talking with someone and they're wondering about like what's a love addict what's a sex addict what's this what's that i think codependence and love addicts are very similar it's just we more often and, and talk to Vanessa about it. We more, and I could be wrong, but we more often think of codependence like with the Melody Beatty, right? Yeah. Who's like the right. who's like the person for codependence and wrote all the books on it.
2: It's like her and her mom. She's, her on my po- and- she's on my podcast next week, Melanie Beatty. Oh,
1: dude, dude <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna listen. I'm, <laughs> yeah, dude, school. I'm totally gonna listen. Are you serious?
2: Yeah, yeah she's that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. That's awesome. I'm yeah, gonna but totally listen. that's that's old school, and that's um that and I think she takes codependency through the door of addiction which you're kind of talking about now
1: yeah yeah Yeah. which is what Vanessa said that again I was like how have I been in recovery because at the time when Vanessa said it in a group that I was visiting jumping in of hers it had to be part of you know part of the tat lab thing so it was like 12 years in at the time, let's just say, 12 years into my recovery. And she was like, and we all know that codependence, you know, it's an addiction, right? And I was like, Jesus Christ, I know people who are in Codependence Anonymous. And for her to just say it, I'm like, yes. So then that's where where I started to marry the terminology. Like, mm-hmm. codependency, like, love addiction will have that sexual or romantic bent to it mm-hmm. that's obsessive, compulsive, addictive, etc. Codependence can or cannot. It can be your mom, it could be your right. friends, it can right. be your boss, right? There are people who talk about like this weird vibe with their, their superior, right? And that they can't, they're enmeshed. It's weirdly enmeshed. So that's, I hope that's a little bit helpful, but it, it, yeah. it's helped me. So i I'm like, you know what? They're kind of similar. It's just that one isn't romantic. Traditionally, you don't think of codependence as necessarily romantic, whereas love
2: necessarily is. Right. Right. <laughs> So uh, 12-step, you get sober, and then um, you start actually um, working in the field, right? I remember you were – you came and visited me in L.A., and you were already behind the podium giving speeches and stuff in that world.
1: Yeah, man, and uh, you know I don't have regrets, so I don't say this like beating myself up. Well, I try not to have regrets. It's not bullshit. (laughs) But um, I'm much better at that than when I was a younger man. But I wish I would have – had a little more confidence to see what you were up to back then. And I and I'm pretty sure you invited me. Like, dude, like check out what I'm doing, or maybe we can talk. Cause it was still pre, it was earlier social media. Wasn't, yeah. you know, you're a yeah. freaking pioneer in all of that. And you're right at the cusp of that. And yeah, it was, I couldn't tell you what year that was, but it was the LA conference. And I did. I was speak I spoke in front of like 80 people or something in a packed room. And dude, I had this major anxiety attack and dude did this. It's that big, it was down by the airport. It's one of those huge convention centers by the airport. And my sponsor ended up walking down the hallway at the same time I'm having this anxiety attack. And I'm about to turn in and go do my session and and lead a session for the first time, like ever. That scale anyway. And he just, I was like, dude, I'm freaking out. And he just, he just held me. He's like, you'd be fine. You know, what? he he said basically what you say. He's like, you know what you're talking about. Just, just talk what you know. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, thank you. So, yeah, dude, I started to speak at bigger conventions like the international ones and the national ones. And I've been doing a lot locally. I've been doing a lot of smaller retreats, 12-step or non-12-step mm-hmm. men's groups. Yeah. And and then it wasn't until about five years before TAT Lab you invited me in. And that's when you first said, dude, you speak the language. Why don't you just come talk to folks? So that was a really good experience. But I hemmed and hawed. And I also, I mean, legit, not just beating myself up again, but I... Legit took a different turn and went a different career for a while. And you know what that is. I was, I was still headed back towards Hollywood.
2: Right, right. And then
1: once I stopped that, but in the production end, right. And then I just was like, I, I love that coaching shit. And right yeah. when I was getting my ICF, I don't have my ICF certified certified yet, but I'm qualified for the test. Mm-hmm. And right when I called up the coaches, uh, Linda Bark and the wisdom of the whole uh, methodology group, um, dude, you called seriously within like. Twenty-four hours. I was like, "This is the freaking universe <laughs> right. giving all the signs." Yeah. And that was two and a half, three years ago. And I so it was great because I was getting my practicum at the same time that I was already coaching through Lab.
2: Yeah, and now you're coaching. Now you've I mean you've done um, a lot in the last couple of years. Meaning you've um, run groups, you've taught, you've spoke, you've coached. Uh, it's like you've really um, played with everything now and. Um, what are you building now? What are you swimming toward? What do you feel called to do and what excites you in that that world? So I
1: will always be creative, right? Like I'm so yeah. stoked for you that sitting back years ago, 20-somethings at Karma, right? Karma on uh, Cahuenga or whatever, somewhere around there in Hollywood. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. The cafe, right? Cafe. Yeah. Uh, wait, hold on. Ryan's we went team. to, um, not only that, but we were at um, uh, Lulu's Beehive. Beehive. Yeah, 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 Lulu's behind <laughs> the in the valley, valley. Yeah. Sherman Oaks. Yeah, yeah, God. and right on uh, Ventura. Love that place.
1: It's not there anymore. But uh, so, I, I, you know, like you, I definitely, you know, I definitely aspire to to get a book done. But again, God shot time, universe speaking time. Um, I was just planning podcasts and getting the equipment and all the stuff when you.
2: Rang out about this one. I was like, all right, yeah. I got to
1: listen to, I yeah. got to listen to what the universe is saying. And the only reason why I hadn't between the end of Tat Lab and now was because I had a very uh, intensive, good project. It had nothing to do with coaching per se. Um, it was more my social justice stuff. But I just, I let the coaching quiet. And then as I was feeling, I was like, I got to get back. That's where my heart is. I really am contented. right? I don't want to boss anymore. I'm almost 50. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> and I love sp- I love serving individually. Yeah. And if I can do that and then still write at night or whatever the fuck I want to do, you know, be with my teens or whatever before they go off to college. Great. And then, dude, you and like, like so many things were like, yep, podcast time. So I'll be doing a podcast. I'll be joining, you know, yours. And then, you know, see if eventually I can spin off and, and get my own. And um, I'll definitely be writing in the near future.
2: Man, sure. Love it, man. I think you're going to crush the podcast medium. Yeah. Um... I can just tell, you know, uh, just because you're charismatic, you speak, you're creative, so um, you don't just speak like information, but there's a um, uh, there's poetry behind how you speak. Hey, Thanks, for brother. anyone anyone who's listening, and um, there's you know maybe they don't know if they're addicted, and it doesn't matter if it's love, sex, heroin, whatever. Um, for someone who's been through the tunnel, for someone who's been sober for 14 years, and I'm sure you still every day it's a it, it's somewhat of a, a struggle. Um, what can you tell them? What kind of advice would you give them? Uh, if they're new or if they've been in it a while? Uh, either. So I have a friend who um, uh, he gets sober for a while and then his wheels fall off and then we don't see him for a no. week and he just, I mean, he fucking goes. And then he comes back and then he's like, all right, I, I need to, you know, and and it's just that pattern, man. It's uh, Addiction is one of the hardest things just to – it it, you, it really you, is man. You need solid handrails, man. You need a village. I think you know, yeah. Right. Which is, I'll, I'll answer your question
1: before after I say this. Which is why, just like with Tatlab, so it's interesting that you mentioned that most of the dudes were in like say twelve step, and most of the women were in the other one, or or, or the SAA versus the other on
2: one. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, most of the clients, the vast majority of clients I had during the pandemic were women, and so oh, and, and, and and I and I. I don't have to worry about the statistics. I don't care to worry about the statistics right. about whether they were sex, love, fantasy, codependent, right. any of that, a combination, like who cares. But um, so that helps to sort of break away the stereotype, right, of it's mm-hmm. just dudes in a dark room, like, right. oh, my God, my porn issues. right? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's, dude, I've heard, you know, a former, like, you know, leave it to beaver type housewives who just nuked everything i've heard it from uh two women who were you know two women partners and their kid and one of them is in recovery and is working on it right and so what you're saying about handrails it's what i would always say to the tat labbers and what i say to all my clients we don't have to do this alone yeah don't you because that's what the addiction wants the addiction wants just you and it isolated and it's only goal, dude. You're going to love this. And I, and I, I this will be a good nug for a later podcast, but I'm going to say it. I'll just say it again then and who cares? Dude, it's the Terminator, man. Remember Michael Bean? Mm-hmm. Remember Reese? Mm-hmm. He's like, it doesn't care. It doesn't feel remorse or pity or pain. It will just keep coming after you until mm-hmm. you are gone. That's
2: right, it. There's right. no other
1: rule. There's no other point. You know, it was once for a lot of us a survival mechanism from abuse, from isolation, like latchkey kids like you and me from whatever the, the the negative stimuli was but what i say is it for a lot of us it became it was a security blanket a, a survival mechanism that became a barbed wire coil
2: right Ooh, what once used addiction. to comfort yeah. you
1: right now is is killing you
2: it's, describe it's, wait, it's, describe how um it was a survival mechanism so when you're younger and you turn to um addiction how is that survival is it survival to fit in what is it what's a survival piece
1: not to fit in like say with my peers so much because again when they would bust out or my cousins would bust out like a playboy i was like because i didn't it wasn't a group thing for me it was my own private stash
2: yeah yeah Yeah. um
1: but it was more you know i had an abusive household i'm i'm honest about that i talk about it i you know god bless my parents they did their best but there was both physical and emotional and um, I've been asked about my father. I mean, he, he is, to this day, still a porn addict, man. And yeah. I don't think he's ever going to hear this podcast, but I'm also not going to lie about
2: it. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, uh, and, and, to protect yourself so you're escaping in that addiction. Right, right. Yeah, like it's been right, a
1: shitty day, yelled at this and that. Or if it's just a shitty day, it has nothing to do with my parents, so I'm just feeling insecure, feeling bad. Right. Oh, instead of like the Doritos and Coke, which I would normally do, Coca-Cola, yeah. not cocaine. Which was my go-to, right? Because we've talked about this before. I think yours was like crunchy Cheetos, but I was like Doritos and soft Cheetos and Coke. That would be my kid's drug, right?
2: Yeah. Well, instead of
1: doing that all the time, I would go to the porn. And instead of drawing, which I did, or writing like you and I both do, I would go to the porn. It would just be another thing. But then that starts to overwhelm and push out time and space and energy for the good Mm -hmm. things, the drawing, the writing, the
2: exercise. Right. and and you know what if you can't relate to um porn you and most people can relate to eating their feelings right most people can relate to sitting on the couch and eating ice cream if they're yeah. feeling lonely or or if yeah. rejected you know the so yeah this is this is what yeah, you're drinking i mean right. right right
1: or or drinking i mean, I mean that's you know drinking is like a national pastime so imagine yeah. having to get sober from that when everybody in America right is I mean, what's the percentage? I don't know, but yeah. we're okay with it. It's the drug we're okay with, and it is a drug. It's not bullshit. So that would be tough, too, just like it's tough driving around, like you said, billboards or ads on the screen for porn or, or sex or love addict. But it, what, what, what I would tell someone is, uh, like you were asking, uh, if they're getting into recovery, whether it's early or deep into it, you know, I have a sponsee who's like, dude, I want what you got, like 14 years. It's fucking amazing. Oh, my God. I've got two years now. I just want And I'm like, that's great if that helps you, but just still take it one day at a time yeah. and don't take it alone. And it's very 12-step. And, again, man, I'm not, I'm not anti-anything. I, I mean, if people don't want the 12-step part of it, I, I don't beat that down. Mm-hmm. I don't stuff that down people's throats, but it's just the basis that I come from. And we could talk about anything. We can talk about structures of consciousness or whatever. And the more I learn about this stuff, the more I'll share. I'll offload with the clients. But it really is you don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't try it alone. It doesn't – it necessitates a fellowship. It necessitates the guardrails, like you're talking about, of people with you going through it to remind mm-hmm. you you're not a piece of shit. You're not alone in the world. You don't have to isolate. We can walk with you through this process. And also, you know – One fucking day at a time. That, that part of the 12 step is just gold because it's like, why would I worry about what's happening next Tuesday? Let me just
2: handle today. Right. Which is also a very Buddhist thing too. Like just be present. So all that stuff overlaps. Yeah. I love how simple uh, and potent that is. And also I'm going to say it to um, anyone who's single because single, (laughs) the single journey, although not an addiction uh, can be. Uh, tied to, uh, shame, loneliness, and a lot of, you know, uh, uh, negative thoughts, beliefs, all of that, uh, add the ticking clock and advertising and distortion, distorted versions of love and all that. Uh, so even with people who are single and I've been single for long stretches, um, one day at a time and what, like what Sean says, uh, you don't have to do it alone. And, uh, Mm -hmm. that's, that's probably, um. Why you're listening to this because you're single and you don't want to do it alone. And so this is why we're building this community. And also, Sean, what's the name of uh, or do you know yet what the name of your podcast is going to be?
1: I don't have the name of the podcast right now. People want to hit me up. Um, I've got I've got my Instagram page, which is Sean Cardinale. And there's a lot there are a lot of videos on there, just little bits and pieces, nuggets of my experience. And as a both as a recovering addict and as a as a coach, you know, experiences I've had in this in this area. And then uh, I am on Facebook, although I'm not uh, on it as often as I'd like. And that's Sean Cardinale, Life Coach. Um, I should probably change it to just Coach or something. It's weird saying Life Coach. But um, uh, and uh, you know, and you know me, dude. I always give away my email and my phone. I'm like, call me up. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, give away, give away your email. Um, and and yeah, I was gonna ask where can we, where can we find you? Don't give us your address, but um, your social right. media.
1: <laughs> don't show up at my door. Three one zero nine nine four. 8958 is the cell that, uh, you know, I encourage my clients. I'm like, you know what? I can't pick up 24 seven, but if you're having a shit day and you are triggered every five minutes, fucking text every five minutes that, if that helps you do it, I'm totally fine with that. I don't be self-conscious about that. And then the uh, email is Sean S E A N Paul P A 73 at Gmail.
2: Yeah. Hit Sean up. um, He's uh, he's a powerful catalyst. Well, Sean, thank you for um, this interview. And you're going to hear a lot more from Sean as he uh, con- continues to share, you know, his story, his wisdom, tools, tips, all that. And uh, when he launches his podcast, go check him out there, too. Thank you for listening. Be well. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story, and you can just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, zoom links to private gathers. So if you want to join our community, go to singleonpurpose.life. Thank you for listening. Be well. We hope you tell a friend.
0: Hi, my name is Brenda. I've been single for going on 5 years now. I um, I divorced the father of my daughters back in 2017. Um A little bit about my story. That was a very codependent, toxic relationship uh, where alcohol and substance abuse was involved. um, A lot of lies, manipulation. um, Just the struggles were real. I had no idea, zero idea that that was what was going on. And um, we were young parents raising two little girls back to back. No break in between. Um, so as you can imagine, I mean, there was just so much on our plates, no time for us to even date, get to really fully know one another. That relationship was just very rushed. Um, it was what it was, but all that to say, um, we agreed that divorcing each other was, uh, you know, at that time was what was necessary in order for us to move ahead and be good Uh, parents to our two young daughters so uh, fast forward to today we are great co-parents now um, I believe that I have mastered or we have mastered that co-parent relationship because there's so much that I have learned and worked on and have healed within myself in order to also coach and teach him uh, the psychology behind the boundaries and manipulation and hard no's and non-negotiables. And so um, I'm confident that because I was able or I am able to lead, he follows very well. So we're able to have a very healthy co-parent relationship. Um, Back to um, how what I'm learning actually in actually still being single is just knowing what you want, asking yourself, or for me, asking myself, what is it that I want? What is it that I'm looking for in a man that is going to present himself to me and show up at my door? Um, to me, that's something that I always ask myself, and I think that it's important that women out there um, in the same boat as I am continue to ask themselves that. You know, everybody's different, and their needs and wants are different as well. Uh, But for me in particular, um, I'll just kind of tell you how I've survived a singlehood. Um, I kind of toyed and played around with the idea of getting on dating sites. And, um, you know, that didn't work so well uh, initially. And then um, here recently, I decided to take a break just because I felt overwhelmed uh, without having no structure, no guidance as far as, really knowing what it is that I'm looking out for out there on the dating sites. I think that's extremely important. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of crap out there. And so all I can say is, um, in order to survive, go into it, knowing what you want, ask yourself, what is it that I want? That way you can show up in the dating scene with good intentions and that person's going to know it as well. Um, how I thrived in the past when I was being intentional. And that's the key word is being intentional. I feel like we're all constantly trying to heal, trying to work on trauma or or things in our past. And for me in particular, it has helped me tremendously knowing what is my intention, knowing that I'm going all in, regardless of whatever date I'm going on today, tomorrow. Um, That helps me in showing up 100% And not having any expectations really behind it. That I cannot tell you how much of a breakthrough that has been for me. In order to not overwhelm me. Or start out with that overwhelming uh, piece so to say in your mind. Like getting out of your head. So I feel like that's what helped me thrive in singlehood. Now currently I choose to be single just because I have so much that I'm working on personal growth. And I feel like it's a distraction But having all those tools underneath my belt, I'm confident that when I'm ready to step back into the dating scene, I know it will pay off in the long run and I'm ready. Hope this helps. Thank you.